If I told you that there was a middle school track and field team made up of misfits and disadvantaged youth from Osaka, Japan, that went from the worst team in the city to the best in only a couple of years, with some individuals to go on to win gold medals in their events, it probably sounds like a heartwarming, zero-to-hero, family-friendly movie, right? It's actually the scene of the origin story for the Harada Method, or the human side of lean. In this episode, I'll introduce you to the Harada Method and detail some of the tools you can put to use in your own career plan. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Progress Over Perfection Coaching Podcast. My name is Patrick Dedrick, and I'm the founder of Progress Over Perfection Coaching and your host. And I want to thank you for listening in. Progress Over Perfection Coaching is a podcast focused on career management and development by offering insight on how to build an intentionally balanced and purpose-filled career. In this episode, I'll be talking about the Harada Method. I'll talk about what it is, talk about the man behind the method, and go into some of my own tips for how I think some of the tools presented in the method can be applied to some of the work around career development and planning that we talked about in the first few episodes. Before I get into that, though, I think it's fitting to give a little bit of backstory to how I was introduced to the Harada Method and really give credit to where it's due. About nine or ten years ago, I was volunteering on the board of uh, the Portland, Oregon chapter of Apex, and we were hosting a monthly speaker event, and our guest was Norman Bodek. He was coming to speak on his latest book at the time, and that was all about the Harada Method. For anyone unaware of who Norman Bodek is, his story is pretty phenomenal, and he spent a significant portion of his life spreading the word of lean and making world-class lean ideas accessible to as wide an audience as possible. He was the founder of the Productivity Press and translated to English and published over 100 books on Japanese management philosophy, including those from renowned practitioners as Taichi Ono and Shigeo Shingo. He also co-created the Shingo Prize, an annual prize awarded to organizations for demonstrating exceptional operational excellence. And actually, this was the second time I had the privilege of hearing Norman Bodek speak. I was fortunate to hear him guest lecture in a supply chain management course at Portland State University over the course of my MBA, a few years prior to his presentation on the Harada Method. More than his level of expertise on the subject matter, what really stood out about him to me was his passion for sharing these ideas on improvement and betterment with others. One might expect that for someone so advanced in their field that he might have an air of condescension about him or a sense of unapproachability. And it was really quite the opposite. Norman Bodek exuded a youthful exuberance when sharing ideas, and you couldn't help but be drawn in and caught up by his energy. He never overstated his role in the transmission of the ideas he was sharing he gave full credit to the originators of their work. The joy he seemed to get came not from the credit of where the ideas came from, but of being able to help others better themselves by being exposed to those ideas. Unfortunately, Mr. Bodek passed away in 2020. And I know that I said that this episode was about the Harada Method, but I wanted to make sure that Norman Bodek was recognized here for his part in sharing the Harada Method, at least with me. I take some inspiration from Norman Bodek's approach, and ultimately, my hope with this episode is to continue to spread awareness of the Harada Method so that you might be able to take part, uh, take parts of it, at least those that make sense for you, and put it to use to help you get to where you want to go. All right, so now we can spend a few minutes talking about the real man behind the Harada Method, Takashi Harada. He was the mastermind behind and the individual for whom the Harada Method was named. 
Takashi Harada was a middle school track and field coach from Osaka, Japan, or in Osaka, Japan at least, and his school had the unfortunate distinction of having the 380th best track and field team out of a total of 380 schools in Osaka. The school also happened to be in a less prosperous area of the city, and its students were neither economically nor socially dispositioned for success. However, through his efforts in working with the students and the ultimate development of this method, he was able to help the track and field team earn top honors, becoming number one in track and field for six consecutive years, and produced over a dozen gold medalists within their event and age group. Harada continued meet, uh, teaching, repeating to some degree his success in turning around a couple of other schools' programs in depressed neighborhoods of Osaka, until he eventually decided to take this model to the corporate world, where he started consulting and teaching individuals and teams how to apply the methods he developed. So, now to talk a little bit about what the Harada method is. At its core, the Harada method, whether applied to middle school athletes, corporate employees, or pioneering entrepreneurs, is built on the ideas of self-reliance and setting clear goals. All the tools that follow and constructs built around it boil down to those two principles. Without them, the power of the model is diluted. In all, depending on the translation of the materials, there are between 16 and 20 steps. Later editions of the materials published uh, by Norman Bodek include fewer steps, and it really seems that this was done to streamline uh, everything a little bit. And ultimately, these steps can be broken down into four groups or kinds of activities, which I'll get more into. Understanding yourself, defining your vision, building your community, and going through a process of reflecting, revisiting, and revising. First, we'll talk about understanding yourself, and that's really the basis for the idea of self-reliance. This is the notion that you're capable of whatever you set your mind to, and that the greatest setback you face in your endeavors, whether they be big or small, is a lack of belief that you can succeed. We should table that for a minute, uh, kind of the somewhat circular logic of where belief in yourself can come from if you don't have it already, and we'll get into that when we talk about the group of steps around building your community. The main point here is that a cornerstone of the method is that you must believe that you can accomplish your dreams and that it must be you that can do it. It can't be dependent on circumstances being in your favor. Ultimately, it's all about you. No pressure, right? The power of self-reliance is multiplied by the fact that your dream or goal should be in service of others. That's not to say that your work needs to be entirely altruistic or that your dream should not benefit you directly. This only means in some way achieving your goal or the work you perform along the way to achieving your goal should offer benefit to others in addition to you. And that's not a unique notion to this method. Aside from the fact that doing good for others is pretty objectively a good thing, studies on longevity and long life have provided some evidence that there is a positive correlation between social interdependencies, a sense of community, and focus on serving others and life expectancy. To keep in the theme of Ikigai that I spent the last few episodes talking about at length, in the book, Ikigai, The Japanese Secret to a Long and Happy Life by Hector Garcia and Francis Morales, there's discussion on how having a sense of duty to others and a sense of community and service has been linked or at least correlated with longevity. Whether coincidence or not, many of those that live in blue zones or those areas with abnormally high populations of centenarians also belong to tightly knit groups where they count on one another as a part of their daily lives. While seemingly mundane, 
This simple act of knowing that others relied on their contribution, each member of the community found additional drive to persist and persevere. The next main group of steps in the Harada method is focused on goal setting and how to break down goals into digestible, actionable activities. And really, it's in this approach of the methodology that enables ambitious goal setting. It empowers individuals to freely set a goal, unencumbered by the notion that it may be too big or too ambitious. This could be an individual goal of one day being a CEO, or an organizational goal for a startup to one day become the market share leader in their field. Another way to think of one of these kinds of goals that you might be more familiar with in kind of the business consulting jargon field is a BHAG, or a big, hairy, audacious goal. At their cores, they're effectively the same thing. They're stretch goals, or at least goals that are meant to take time to achieve, that cannot be attained quickly. In principle, if you set out a larger goal along these lines, but have a clear path to achieving it in a relatively short period of time, like less than a year, then it's not big enough. Go back to the drawing board and think bigger. So once you have that big goal, the next step is you break it down into smaller goals. And once you have those smaller goals, you break those down into even smaller actions or objectives. And it's at this level that the goals are meant to be something that you can get after right now. The tool used to go about this process that the Harada method prescribes is the 64 window chart. More specifically, you visualize your goal by creating a grid of nine squares. Your ambitious goal should be put in the center square. In each of the remaining eight squares, divide those up into nine squares into a three by three grid. Then come up with another eight smaller goals that contribute to your main goal. Those will each go into one of the center squares. When you come up with these eight smaller goals, try to find somewhat distinct goals that are separate from one another. And this will make sense in a minute. And then finally, for each of those eight smaller goals that you have, come up with eight actions that you can take that will move you towards reaching those smaller goals, and put those into the eight boxes surrounding those small goals in their respective grids. Straightforward enough, right? I know that this isn't the easiest to explain, and I've actually posted a template of what I mean, uh, and we'll link it to, in the show notes for you to access if you're having trouble visualizing it. But ultimately, when you're done, you'll have 64 actions that you can take ideally now, or at least within a short period of time that will move you towards completing their associated goal. And in effect, also move you closer to your large goal. As an example of how this might look, say that my ambitious goal is to live and work in Spain by being transferred through my company. One smaller goal might be that I need to speak Spanish. And another goal might be that I need to be at a director level because maybe only at that level does my company sponsor expat assignments. Then for my speaking Spanish goal, some of my eight actions I can take could be get some language learning program or app so that I can start to learn the language and sign up for a language partner program to increase fluency and listen to audiobooks in Spanish. For my goal of becoming a director, assuming that that title's the next logical one based on my current role, I could set actions like talk to my manager about what it would take to get to that level and achieve an above average rating on my annual review and sign up for high impact projects that can showcase the skills that I have to offer. These are all pretty generic examples, but hopefully they illustrate the kind of hierarchy of actions and goals that can go into this model, as well as the kind of thematic groupings that can you can use to ring fence these actions together. 
So now, once you complete or achieve some of these actions, your job isn't done. Odds are, there are more than eight sub-goals that you may need to take in order to reach your ambitious goal, and more than eight actions you can take to reach those sub-goals. I'll detail it more in a minute, but the intent of these charts is that as you complete actions, you find more to plug into it until you complete those actions or goals. This is absolutely my favorite tool from the Harada method, and I use it as a part of my own goal setting for my Ikigai career plan. And while it isn't necessarily an earth-shattering concept, I found that the simple structure for breaking down goals into actions is a great way to close the gap between something that I can do today and someplace that I want to be. And it really does help make me feel like I am making progress incrementally towards something that might seem otherwise out of reach. Now, for some of the goals or actions you've set for yourself, they might technically be achievable right now on your own. But one key point of the Harada method is that you should not think that you have to go it alone. You should have confidence that you can attain your ambitious goal, but also recognize that you will need some help along the way. There are steps in the method that involve you going out and getting the help that you need. This does come back to some degree of self-evaluation. You need to know what you need help with and be able to articulate what help looks like. If you listen to the episodes of this show around building your Ikigai inventories, when you built your list of things that you're good at, you would have also built a list of things that you're not good at. It's that latter list that you can mine for areas that might be good to look for support. In this case, support can come in different forms. It can be a mentor or instructor, someone that can teach or guide you in an area you're looking to improve upon or leverage their own personal experience to show you a possible way that you could go about doing things. It could also be a coach or someone to help you help guide you through mental roadblocks or ways of thinking. Or it could entail finding a support group of like-minded individuals or close friends that are capable and able to encourage you through difficult times or challenges as you encounter them. The important thing is that there's no one right model for what support looks like. It'll be different for everyone, and you'll likely need your support system to look different at different points in your journey to achieving your goal. But you do probably need one. That brings us to the last theme of steps in the Harada method, and that has to do with reflecting, revisiting, and revising your goals. One of the tenets of the Harada method is the idea of daily management. There are robust tools in the method to document in great detail actions set and taken, including detail on each goal that you set with a start date and target end dates. There's also a degree of daily journaling that allows you to reflect on your goal, both broadly and more specifically to the actions you've taken in the past day, to evaluate your progress, but also understand whether or not the actions and goals you've set still feel like the best course of action for you right now. There are also prescribed monthly goal check-ins, and it's at those points where you can find different focus areas or repopulate your 64-window chart with new actions or goals if you've completed some, or find that you have other goals or actions that you think make more sense for you to focus on immediately. The important thing is that you not lose momentum or let progress stagnate. And I'd be remiss to not emphasize that it's during this reflection phase that you should look inward to understand if your ambitious goal still aligns with what you truly want. One of the potential risks I see with using this reflection process and with the emphasis on keeping meticulous account of what you've accomplished towards a particular goal is that that the perceived sunk costs could seem dauntingly significant and steer you away from changing course for fear of having wasted an excessive amount of time and energy. Here's where the rest of the Harada method comes in handy though. If you have your community, be they mentors, coaches, or friends, 
that can help you find the clarity in what you think would be best for you. And really that about does it for the Harada method in a nutshell. This was, wasn't intended to go really deep on it. I don't want to do a disservice to the source material that a lot of this was drawn from. But it was really meant to be kind of a primer into the method. And if you're interested in learning more, I highly suggest that you pick up Norman Bodek's book, either the full-length version or slightly more abbreviated Essential Guide. And I'll have links to both of those in the show notes. Aside from going into more detail on each of the steps of the method, there are also some excerpts from Harada himself that talk about his experiences that both led him to develop the method and the results he saw and success he helped others achieve as a result of the method. There are also a number of case studies that speak to the efficacy of the method when implemented, largely at organizations, but also some first-hand accounts from professionals that can attest to the benefits of using it. And at the very least, hopefully this has helped to introduce something to you that you can use in your own pursuit of your own goals, ambitious or otherwise, or at least put you on the trail for where you want to go hunt for more information. All right, so really quickly before we wrap up, I want to give a quick teaser to something coming up. To this point, episodes of the show have been largely instructional and fairly monologue And while there will be more episodes like this in the future, I'm excited to start a different kind of flavor of episodes soon. I'm going to be calling them career deep dives. And in those, I'll bring on guests to talk about their careers. They'll go into detail on how they got to where they are, the paths that they took, talk about lessons that they learned, and hopefully get a little vulnerable and talk about the missteps that they have made. The aim is to illustrate that there are many routes to success and that no two need to look the same, but also hopefully give you some nuggets of wisdom or new perspectives you can try on to see if they help you as you plan out your own career. For the first few, I've tapped into my network and some previous mentors and managers uh, that have graciously agreed to share their time and wisdom. And I can't wait to catch up with them, reflect on lessons uh, that they helped me learn, and hopefully provide for an entertaining and interesting listen. Again, these are coming up soon, so if you don't want to miss one of them, be sure to subscribe wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. As always, if you have any thoughts or questions about this episode or ideas you'd like to hear in future episodes, please feel free to send them to me at patrick at prgscoach.com. And with that, I'll sign off with a certain type of perfection can only be realized through a limitless accumulation of the imperfect. Thank you again so much for listening in, and we'll talk more in our next episode.